0: Very foundational teaching, very important understanding to know that when you receive Christ, you are no longer an orphan spiritually, you are no longer abandoned, you matter. Say this with me, because Jesus is in my heart, I matter. You're not ordinary. I tell the Christian this, the bread is for the children. Bible says that he gives nations for our ransom. To the, to, the, to the eyes of the Father, the child of God is more important to him than anything or anyone else on the planet. So if somebody's got to lose, it's not going to be the believer. I got news for you. And people go, well, that's not fair. And I always tell them there's nothing fair about favor. That's called favor. And there is nothing fair about favor. Not everybody who is, a, not every human being is a child of God. Every human being is a creation of God, but only the children of God are those who've received Christ. As many as received him, first 1 John 1:12, 1, to them have the right to become the children of God, to those who believe on his name. So we become sons and daughters when we receive Jesus Christ. The Bible says you're positioned. You assume the position as a son and daughter. It doesn't mean you're living like it. This is very important, too. You grow into your identity. You have babies, right? Little kids. So when, when, you're, when the baby's first born, they don't look like a lot, do they? Right? They don't, They you know, kind of, skin's kind of like crazy color, pinkish red, little kind of weird thing going on, their head's bent to the side, and their face is all mushed up. They don't look like a whole lot. But as they grow, they take on the attributes of their parents, don't they? They take, begin to take on the attributes as they live in the household, they begin to take on the attributes of the household. This is what it means to follow Jesus. When you're born again, you don't look like much, just so you know, okay? But as you grow in Christ, you begin to take on the attributes of your father. As you grow in Christ and follow him and walk with him and learn his ways in his house, then you begin to take on the attributes of his household. We become. See, we believe, we belong, and we become. We become. It's very important. And today I want to talk to you about what it means to be sons and daughters. So this is kind of the theme of the series. And one of the, things of, uh, one of the themes of a son and daughter is sons and daughters know how to pause. Say it with me. Pause. There you go. And what does it mean? Well, the word Sabbath in the Bible means to pause. So we're going to talk about Sabbath and what God intended it to be and why. So here's Exodus 31. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. See, he made it for you. You're not made to work 24-7, aren't you glad? Your boss thinks you are, but you're not, right? You're not a machine. Sometimes we drive ourselves, and we drive ourselves into these very difficult places because we don't know how to pause. God created the Sabbath or the pause for you. It's how you're designed. That's why our bodies fall apart when we overwork. We have high blood pressure. You know, we have issues with our eating. We can't sleep at night because we're driving ourselves too far, We're driving ourselves with stress. Some of you guys, you're working on your stress 24-7. You think about your problems 24-7. So not only do you need a pause from work, some of you guys need a pause from your problems, right? Can I get a witness there? Anybody, right? You need a pause from your problems. So the, the, the Sabbath was made for you. Work shall be six days. The seventh is the Sabbath rest. It's holy to the Lord. So he made it for you, and it's special to him. We get that? It's made for you. But it's very special to him. The word feast in the Bible is the Hebrew word moed, and it means appointment. The Sabbath is considered a feast; it's considered a party. So we're going to break that down a little bit, and I'm going to show you what what, what it was actually portrayed as and what God intended it to be. But it's it's called it's a Hebrew called a moed, and it means an appointment. God said, these are my feasts, these are my appointments. They are convocations. This is Leviticus. He said, these are my feasts. They are holy to me, and these are my convocations. A convocation is a rehearsal. That's what it means. So he said, these are my appointments, and in my appointments, there's a rehearsal. So the Sabbath was meant to be an appointment. You have an appointment here this morning. God's got you in his day planner, and he's right here, right? You have an appointment to be here, but if you miss the appointment... So we come together, it's holy for us, we rest, but we come before God, and God has made an appointment to meet you here. God has made an appointment to encounter you today. To hear, Say it with me, Jesus has something for me today. <laughs> he does. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath throughout their generations. It's a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the sons and daughters of Israel forever. For six days the Lord made the heavens, and on the seventh day he rested and refreshed himself. Now, if God rested and refreshed himself, that means you are made in his image and likeness, and you're designed like him, so you are to rest and refresh yourself. It's a sign between the sons and daughters of Israel. Anybody want to get theological? You want theology? Does anybody want some theology? I'll give you a little theology, all right? So what the Bible teaches on this whole thing of Israel, Israel is both a nation and a concept, Okay? So we have a nation of people brought into a concept and a design that is called Israel. The Bible tells us that the believer is grafted into Israel. We're not grafted into the Hebrew nation, but we are grafted into God's idea and concept of Israel. What is his idea and concept of Israel? Well, it's rooted in the name. It means prince of God. God's idea and concept for, this, for Israel was that God was going to create a generation of people and they were going to be princes and princesses, supernatural and divine royalty before him. That's the point. So when the Bible says you were grafted into Israel, you were grafted into God's idea of supernatural royalty and divine inheritance. Sons and daughters, princes and princesses before him. Why is this important? It is fundamental. If you don't understand identity, you are going to miss it all. All of it. All of it. Not just who Christ is, but who he is in us and who we are before him. You cannot inherit the promises if you don't know what your rights are. You cannot stand in your position if you don't know what your position actually is. You're supernatural royalty. I mean, don't shout me down. You know, some of you guys need to put your, put your hand on your heart. I am divine royalty. I am supernatural royalty because Jesus has made me so. You are royal. You are divine royalty in the spirit. No one has more authority in the spirit than you. No one has more spiritual authority on the earth than you. The sons and daughters are in the position of spiritual authority. Why? Because he has made us divine royalty. Heirs and rights of inheritance belong to us. This is what it means when he's talking about Israel. So it's a sign between the sons and daughters of those who are princes and princesses before the Lord. What is Sabbath? It means to pause. You're made to pause. God intended you to pause. Next slide. It's very important. It's hard for us in America. This is a really difficult one. We're a workaholic nation. I mean, it's just like, it's just what we do. You know what I'm saying? You guys know what I'm talking about? Some of y'all are from other cultures. And you come here and you're like, man, you guys work like crazy. It's true. We, we are like a working nation, man. We're like worker bees or something. I don't even know. But it is holy for you. God made it for you. He made it special for you. Say this with me. Jesus never came To start a religion. So let's just let that sizzle. Say this with me Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. That's right. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. God's intent and His design. When Jesus came, He didn't come to start a religion. He didn't come to emphasize and to reconstruct the religion that the Pharisees had already established. They had a religion. Jesus like, blew that up every chance he got. He blew up the religion. He blew up the religious mindset. What had happened in the Old Testament is the Pharisees had created rules and regulations, and they had turned the Sabbath into one more rule and one more regulation, and they suppressed the people. The Sabbath wasn't a blessing. It was a burden. We're designed to rest. What does this word Sabbath mean? It means rest from common work. I hear Christians all the time, and they're like going, well, you know, we just don't do anything on the Sabbath. No, it means rest from common work. It doesn't say you don't do anything. Common work. What do you do nine to five? That's what you rest from. What What do you do? You know, some of us, like, we can't even put our phone down for an hour. You know, we're looking at our emails, we're looking at our text messages, we're tripping, you know, I mean, has the world, has the world really changed in the last 20 minutes? I mean, really? I mean, what, what are you really going to miss? But we, we just can't, we're just compulsive, constantly checking our emails, constantly checking our everything. We can't rest. Some of you need to rest from your phone. You don't need to rest from work, you need to rest from social media, you know? Come on, I got two of you. The rest of you are like, I don't know about that, Pastor, I'm not too sure, I don't know. <laughs> they measured people's anxieties. This is how crazy we are. So they took away everybody's smartphone and they put it across the room. So like they're having a seminar and this was a, they, they had these monitors on them to measure their anxiety. And so the guy's talking very calmly to them, yet the levels of anxiety among the people being registered was very high. And it was because their phones were across the room. Isn't that crazy? So they're doing a, they're doing a seminar on like how to be calm. And so the guy's talking in very calm tones. But every, nobody has their cell phone. It's visible, but it's across the room. And they have all these like little monitors on them. And stressed, they were monitoring high levels of stress. Well, the environment wasn't stressful. What was stressful is they're freaking out because their phone is across the room. What? Some of you guys should shut your phone off one day a week. I know you guys are going to throw them at somebody's gonna, I'm going to have a riot in here in a second. But it's true. We need to pause. This is the point. God created the Sabbath in order for us to pause, rest from common work. This is what Sabbath means. It doesn't mean you and your wife just sit on the couch and stare at each other and go, man, I can't wait for the Sabbath to be over. (laughs) That's how we portray it. It's not the way it's meant. It's meant to not stop working. Stop doing whatever it is you normally do. Give it a break. Worship, spend time with friends, spend time with family, recharge yourself, repurpose yourself. That was the point of Sabbath. That's an entirely different meaning than the one that they presented. Jesus rolls up hard on the Sabbath. He does not play around. I mean, he comes like a Mack truck. Because they had created this idea of the Sabbath to where nothing would happen on the Sabbath. The Jews had created the system of rules to where if you spit on the sabbath you were not allowed to spit on the sabbath you could spit monday through sunday but you couldn't spit on saturday which was their sabbath because if the dirt moved they considered that work they literally had an idea of chickens it's on my next slide but you can leave it here don't 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 move the slide yet and the the, they had this idea of chickens and they had a debate this is actually a debate among rabbis and they said okay so arnold owns chickens okay he has chickens so if he picks up an egg on the Sabbath from one of those chickens, is that considered work? And they'd go, well, it depends. Does Arnold just have chickens running around? If he's just got chickens running around and he picks up an egg, that's not work. But if he owns chickens and he's selling the eggs, well, then he picks an egg from the, from the chickens that he owns that he's selling the eggs from on the Sabbath, and that's considered work. This is like how hyper spaz they had made the Sabbath. My niece, is, was a, she still is, she's a nanny, but she used to be for an Orthodox Jewish family. And on the Sabbath, they wouldn't even turn the lights on because they considered it work. They would sit in the dark on the Sabbath. Oh, how holy. And, is, is that really what Jesus meant? Was that what he was intending? I want you guys to sit in this, you know, because it's relationship. What would that tell you about the Lord? Would that reflect his heart to you correctly? You'd be like, man, who kind of God is this? I gotta sit in the dark. I mean, what is this? I can't spit. I can't even go out and get a chicken egg. I mean, I mean, what is the deal? That's not what he meant. He didn't mean that at all. And that's why he rolls up so hard and Jesus confronts them hard on the Sabbath. He does stuff in their face on the Sabbath. So, what would happen? It'd be there, the Sabbath would be going on or it'd be a Saturday and all the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders would be walking around. The righteous men and women of God would be walking around looking for any violators of the Sabbath. Hey, you can't carry a bed on the Sabbath. Yeah, but I was crippled for 30 years, and Jesus just healed me. That doesn't matter. Put that bed down. That's like how absurd this was, right? And they would be walking around on the Sabbath, and so Jesus is walking through the field, and his disciples are hungry, so they get grain. They start rubbing the grain between their, their, their hands to get the shell off, and they start chewing on the gum, the, the grain gum. It's like gummy. And they start eating it. And what happens? The Pharisees saw it. Well, why did they see it? Because they were on patrol, Right? We have religious police in our churches on patrol. Oh, brother! <laughs> Anybody know any of those? I've met a few in my life. I haven't seen any in a while because I've completely distanced myself from that world of those types of persons. Did you go see that movie? I think that movie was rated R, Kevin. And I don't think Jesus was in that movie, so I don't. I don't know why you went and saw that movie. <laughs> I could do off on that one. Did I hear Jay Z in your car? (laughs) I don't think Jay Z was singing about Jesus now. I don't know. (laughs) Just saying. Anyway, another story. And they say, what happens is that, what do they do? They go, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. And Jesus says this to them Have you not read? That is an incredible insult to a religious teacher. All they did was read. That is all they did. They were exposed to be experts in the knowledge and the understanding of the law, cover to cover. They were supposed to know it. And Jesus looks right at him and goes, Haven't you read? How about that one? And he does it publicly. He doesn't call him over and go, Hey, come here. Listen. I don't want to embarrass you in front of everybody. He doesn't do that. He calls them right out. And he goes, haven't you read? Don't you understand the scripture? He tells the Sadducees, one of my most favorite stories. They come to challenge Jesus on something they don't believe. And Jesus looks at him. He says, your problem is is you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God. How'd you like that one on? It'd be like you being a doctor or whatever it is that you do for a living, and it's all you do. And somebody comes up to And you don't know the first thing about medicine. You know, in a seminar. That would be like an expert. You're in a seminar with all your peers, and the expert is there, and you come up to him, and you ask the expert, or you say something to the expert, and the expert goes to you. You don't know the first thing about what you're talking about. I mean, it was an embarrassment, it was a shame, and he offended them, and he didn't have a problem doing it. Not at all. He didn't do it rudely, he did it nicely. And what he was doing was their system had caused the people to drift and move away from the Lord. He will confront that like a Mack truck. If you are causing the people to leave, the presence, or you are misrepresenting the heart of God, he will come right through it. And they were causing a misrepresentation of God's heart. And the people were not understanding the heart of the Lord correctly. That's why he turned over the tables. Why did he do that? Because they were misrepresenting the character of God. You were making this a den of thieves. You are extorting the people. They were charging exorbitant exchange rates. Nothing in the scripture allowed them to charge the exchange rates, yet they did it anyway. Nothing in the scripture told them they had to, they had to charge to kosher-certify the offering before it was given, yet they charged a fee anyway. And so they were charging fees to worship the Lord. They were, the people were to come with an offering. This was true. They were to come with money, and they were come to come with substance. That was required. But what they did is they put a barrier, and they said, "Oh, your offering isn't good enough." Or your money isn't good enough, you need to change it for temple money. And so they charged an exchange rate on top of the temple money, therefore ripping off the people and enriching themselves. Or they took the offering and they go, well, your pigeon looks good, but we're not going to accept it. you got to buy a kosher certified pigeon. Yeah, but I just bought this one for $5.99. Well, that one's not good, but we have one over here for $59.95. And we can guarantee you this is an acceptable offering. And why did he, why did he flip why did he drive them out with whips? Why did he crack them on the backside and throw all of their merchandise out? Because they were misrepresenting the heart of God. This is exactly what's going on here. They're misrepresenting the Lord. They're making the Sabbath a burden and not a joy. They're making the Sabbath a burden and not a delight. So in case that wasn't enough, same chapter. So he leaves this group, and where does he go? He goes to the temple. And what does he do there? He does it again. He does it again, so it's like okay, he offends this group. He's like okay, everybody rightfully offended. Okay, we good? All right, I'm going to go over here now. I'm going to offend these guys, and he goes in there and he says, "And behold, a man with a withered hand." And they asked him, "Is it lawful to heal upon the Sabbath?" And it said they looked at him with intent to see if he was going to do it. And Jesus looked back at them with disdain. There's only a few places in Scripture where Jesus was mad, and in this place he was mad. He was mad because of the hardness of their heart and the callousness of their heart. Here's a man with a withered hand, and he's setting him up, and they're all looking at him to see if he's going to do it, if he's going to heal on the Sabbath so that they can accuse him. And I love Jesus' response. He looks at them. He knows what they're doing. and He goes, hey, stretch out your hand. He didn't back down. He didn't cower. He didn't go, well, I'm just fairy Jesus. I'm just the Jesus that's all about love, you know. I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to say anything or do anything that's wrong. I don't want people to get mad at me. He did it anyway. He said, this is righteousness. This is truth. This is the heart of God, and you can love it or you can leave it, but I don't care. That's how he treats us. He told Peter, you leaving? Peter's like, Lord, they all left you. And he's like, you want to go too? Door's right there. You guys want to leave? Oh, Jesus would never do that. man. You have a, you, you, I don't know what gospel you're reading. But that's how he is. He does not cater to your whims or your will. He summons you to follow him. That's what he does. He says, follow me. That's it. Well, I don't agree. He says, well, follow me even if you don't agree, but follow me. I'll help you along the way. That's the point. They looked at him that he might accuse him. Next slide. Why did he do this? Because Jewish belief comes from righteousness was in the law. He did it because they had a false belief system, and he did it because they were falsely representing God to the people. That is a huge problem. A misrepresentation of the heart of God to the people is a huge problem to the Lord, huge. Blind leaders are the blind. The church is blind because its leaders are blind. The church doesn't speak because its leaders don't speak. We're led by mute dogs, so our churches are mute dogs. We don't bark. We see danger and we say nothing. We see trouble, we say nothing. We see a culture that's eroding, we say nothing. Nothing. Why? Because our leaders say nothing. God said, my watchmen are mute dogs. They will not bark at the sign of trouble. They're worthless. Assigned to be watchmen on the walls, to declare the righteousness of God into a generation, and they say nothing. Oh, well, we don't want to offend anybody. Read your Bible. Just a thought. I'm going to calm down here in a second. I'm telling you. The pastors that hold media positions hold media positions for a purpose. You are holding a media position to speak into the media. But we just want to make everybody happy. We just want to give everybody a massage. Oh my gosh, CNN won't interview me anymore. Who cares? My television ratings might go down. Who cares? Who cares? That's what we have. And we have a generation of this. No time in America have we been more silent Look back on the generations. The pastors that held media positions spoke into the culture, all of them, whether you liked them or whether you didn't like them. I'm not pointing that out, whether you thought he was a poor Greek person or not. Nonetheless, they held their position rightly, and they spoke when they had the opportunity to speak. Not now. We're just all champions for Jesus. We're all friends, big brothers. Hold hands, sing kumbaya. Jesus loves everybody. We don't want to say anything that's not loving. We don't want to say anything that's not kind. We worry about offending people. What about offending the Lord? What about offending him? What about not taking your position correctly? And we wonder why the church is silent. Its leaders are silent. People want to point fingers at the church. I tell them, it's not the church. It's the leadership. Jesus said they're blind leaders of the blind. The blind are doing nothing but following blind. That's all. The dumb dogs are doing nothing but following dumb dogs. That's the point. And we have got to make up our mind where where we are, who we are we got to find out how do we engage in this conversation. And the people that hold those positions and those positions of influence, look, I'm a little dude on the backside of the wilderness, but I don't have any problem telling you what time it is. right? I don't have a camera in my face, but if I did, I wouldn't have a problem telling people what time it is. It's the truth. We have to be these. We have to do that. That's not right. Well, who says that's not right? I think it's right. Well, who are you? Who are you? Righteousness is not determined by people, it's determined by the Lord. It's not determined by a government, it's not determined by popular vote. It's determined by the Lord. And we are a people of his righteousness. Whether the rest of the culture is or not, we are the salt of the earth, which means we're a little salty, we're a little different, we're a little tang, everybody else is bland. Ooh, man, those Christians, whoa. Something's coming out, something's gonna happen. That's the point. They held a position that alienated people from God and misrepresented the heart of the Lord. And he had a problem with it. They taught it. It was a high value in the culture, and they used it as self-righteousness. So they would be the ones keeping the Sabbath. Therefore, they are superior to you, and they would keep you under the authority of them because they were superior to you. They had the whole model of leadership upside down. They had a top-down leadership gospel is bottom up leadership the pastor's role the leader's role is to elevate the people that's the point the people don't eat that's the model of the kingdom the gentiles do it this way you don't do it this way you do it this way that's the model of the gospel and so what they had is they had this hierarchical system the kingdom is a hierarchy it is a pyramid but it's an upside down pyramid it's bottom up The pastor serves and elevates the people rather than the people serving to elevate the pastor. Do you get that? It's the model of Jesus. Jesus serves to elevate you. You get it? We don't serve to elevate him. You couldn't elevate him unless he first elevates you. He doesn't come to serve. He he doesn't come to be served. He comes to serve. That's the model of the gospel. Their value of righteousness alienated the people. If you couldn't maintain the standard, which very few could, you'd feel like an outcast. How many people, how many American Christians don't feel like they can keep the standard? And most Christians are hypocrites. I'm like, yeah, there's room for one more. Join the party. We're all hypocrites. I need Jesus every minute of every hour of every day. I don't pretend righteousness. Paul said, I do not claim a righteousness that is not my own. It's given to me. I am not righteous. The Lord has made me righteous. I do not hold what I stand. I stand in what he has given me. I do not boast above my means, nor should you. That's the point. But we got, well, we're all hierarchy. I mean, we got, even our, even our leaders sometimes, they, but we boast like we got it all together. I'm like, calm down, man. You know, you're no different than half these people that are out there. You got to work out your faith just like they do. So stop pretending that you're superior. You may be more mature, you may be more wise, you may have more knowledge. All of that may be true, but you still got to deal with your junk just like they do. That's the honesty that has to happen. Pastors can't even hold the positions that they put themselves in. That's why they fall right and left, because they don't stand up there with trembling. Paul says, I was not in front of you other than with meekness and trembling. In other words, I didn't have it all together I was with you in meekness and trembling. I didn't come to you with even eloquent words. I came to you in demonstration and power of the Spirit. I didn't come to you with my dazzling display of my own personality. I didn't come to you with my flowing robes and my Armani suit. I didn't come to you that way. I didn't even come to you speaking like a poet where the eloquent words just drip off my face. Paul said, if you want to know if I'm real or not, look at the demonstration and the power of the Spirit. That when I speak in the Spirit, there's power. There's power. When Paul speaks by himself, I don't think I understand a word that guy's saying. He sounds like a, like a hick or something. But man, when that guy's in the anointing and he speaks, whoosh, heaven comes. That's the difference. It's not our eloquency. It's the power of the Spirit. It's not your background or your pedigree or your, 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 your job that makes you anything greater than anything. The Spirit of God is what exalts you. Therefore, love the Holy Spirit, man. Love Jesus. He is the one that lifts us up. Aren't you glad? They use their righteousness to alienate people. He would have none of it. That's why he would tell them publicly, you're blind leaders of the blind. You're whitewashed tombs. Imagine that. Huh? Let's go to a pastor's convention and have Jesus walk in and go, you all are whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. All of you. Outwardly, you look amazing, but inwardly, you're just you're dead. There's no life in you. You're all pretend. You're all a false front. That's what he's doing. He did it because of the way they were doing it to the people. They were causing the people. Jesus is always about the people. Do you love me, Peter? Take care of my people. Lead my people. Serve my people. He's not about individuals. He's about his nation. He's about his family. He's about his sons and daughters. And he chooses those from among to lead the people. But his desire is to have them led into his heart. And to be led into right knowledge. That's what's key. Not to alienate them from God or to prove that God is a taskmaster or a rule keeper. Jesus isn't a rule keeper. He broke every rule there was to break, he offended every religious standard that they had. There wasn't a religious standard that he didn't break. I mean, you're constantly offended at him. You don't wash your hands? I'm offended. You eat with sinners and tax collectors? How dare you? You drink wine and you go to buffets? You're a glutton and a drunkard. I mean, they're constant. He, he railed. He broke every rule there was to break. So if you think he's a rule keeper, he's not. He's not a rule keeper by men's terms. He's a rule keeper by the heart. He's a rule keeper by the heart of God. If it interferes with relationship, he doesn't want anything to do with it. If it interferes with how his power, and his flow, and his relationship, that's what he doesn't want anything. And he will throw out everything that gets in the way of his relationship with you. Every single thing. Every single thing. Anything that is interfering with his relationship and his flow in your life is what it's idolatry. It's what he's trying to get rid of. It's true. He wants his people taken care of. He wants his people to know his heart. Their righteousness had to, Jesus said to his disciples, your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees. That would freak you out. If you were raised in a culture where the most holy people were the Pharisees, man, if anybody's getting into heaven, it's that group. If anybody's holy, it's that group. And Jesus said, they're not holy at all. Unless your holiness goes beyond that, you're not getting in. You'd be like, what? What? What What do you mean? He said the same thing when he said, it, he said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the heaven. And Peter said, well, then who can be saved? Because to them, the prosperity was a direct correlation between God's favor. Well, they're rich because God favors them. They had, they had that all messed up too. wasn't true at all. But now righteousness of God is apart from the law, is revealed. They believe that righteousness came through the law. And if righteousness came through the law, then they need to know all the rules in order to keep the law, in order to be righteous. It says the righteousness of God is through what? Faith, say it with me, faith in Jesus Christ. Here's the problem with this culture again. What Jesus was teaching them was not a new concept. They said to Jesus, we have Abraham as our father. Jesus said, don't say that, I'll bring Abraham's sons out of these rocks. But nonetheless, they claimed Abraham as their father, but they didn't understand where Abraham's righteousness came from. Abraham was not made righteous because of the law. Abraham was not made righteous because he kept rules. It tells us in Genesis what made Abraham righteous. Abraham believed the Lord, and it was accredited to him as righteousness. He had faith unto the Lord. He had faith unto God's salvation. He had faith unto God's promises. He had faith unto God's character. He didn't keep rules. He wasn't a rule keeper. You say, well, how do we keep the rules? Because the love of God is in your heart, will lead you. God has designed you to not be led externally. That's why the external law had to be done away with, because mankind was designed to be led by the heart through the spirit. And that freaks us out. Pastors go, well, we won't have any control over the people. No, you won't. No, you won't. That's why legalism is such a big part of our churches, because it gives some sense of pseudo-control. We can control everybody. They weren't meant to be controlled. They were meant to be unified, built into a body, but set free. That's the point. Free to live from the heart, that's dangerous. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You ever realize how dangerous Jesus is? He's a risk taker. So if you're a coward in the kingdom, you're not operating according to the counsel of the Holy Spirit in your heart because Jesus is as risk taking as they get, he takes crazy risks. He risks you. He gives you his kingdom. Do you know anything about his kingdom? No, but it's yours. What? It's yours. What did I do to earn it? Nothing. He gave it to you. You're going to inherit the world that is to come. You are heirs in this life and in the world to come. What does that look like? Why don't you ask him? What does that mean? I'm an heir in this life and in the world to come? Yeah, that's what the Bible says. Where's my inheritance? In the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have access to it by faith. We pull from that world into ours. How do we do that? Great question. That doesn't change the fact that that is what you are, and that is who you are. He's so reckless. He he takes three guys. He takes a group of 12 guys that have been with him three years, and then he goes, go change the world. Do you think if you walk with Jesus for 12 years, or for three years, three years, barely, probably more like two and a half because of the time they met and the crucifixion and everything, so you're walking with Jesus for two and a half years, and do you believe at that time you would be prepared to change the world? That's what he did. He told him, go change the world. you be like, what? I don't even know how to change diapers. And you're telling me to go change the world? I mean, that's what he does. He summons us and calls us out of ourselves into someone and something that is greater than you. He sees more in you than you see in yourself. He does not have confidence in you. He has confidence in himself. That's the beauty. We don't do it because we don't have any confidence in ourselves. Well, I got news for you. Jesus doesn't have any confidence in you either. He does does not. His confidence is in his spirit in you. He knows his spirit. If you will yield to his spirit, he will do great and mighty things that you know not of. He'll bring it to pass. So we think, oh, I don't know. I just don't have what it takes. Nobody does. All he asks for is faith. Take a step. I don't know what I'm doing. He's okay with that. We got to know what we're doing at all times. You don't know what you're doing. You really don't. If you really want to know how your faith works, you don't know what you're doing. You're stepping and stepping and stepping and stepping and stepping. You move on what he shows you, and then you take that step, and then he shows you something else. It's a procedure. It's a process. The problem with most Christians, they haven't experienced growth, is because they've not done anything with what they've been given. Many Christians, you have enough sermons in you to last you a lifetime, but you haven't done anything with it. Therefore, you're, you're, you feel like you're at the ceiling with your faith. You haven't done anything. You know all the right things, but you don't do anything. Oh, I don't want to be inconvenienced, pastor. Some of you, the Bible says this, some of you ought to be teachers by now, but instead you need to be taught. Oh, I don't, want to be, I don't want to be inconvenienced. You mean I have to give up time? I don't know about that. You mean I'd have to be vulnerable? Somebody said, what's it like to preach? You're running naked. That's pretty much it. I'm running naked. And Monday morning you have a hangover and you go, I said what? <laughs> Literally. What did I say? Oh, my gosh. Oh, no. You have to be vulnerable. You're going to follow Jesus, you're going to be vulnerable. You're going to become who you are not, and it's going to cost you you. And we don't want to pay the price of us. We don't want to pay the price of you. Then you will never become. I didn't say you didn't believe. I didn't say you don't belong. But you will never become. See, it's a threefold process. We believe, we belong, we become. Some of us believe. Belonging comes with an understanding when you know you are loved by your Father, when you know you are to connect and commit to a church. Belonging comes when you start getting your identity right and you start getting the purposes of your identity right. Becoming starts happening when you start stepping into what you are not. We have lots of believers and lots of belongers, but we don't have a lot of becomers. Jesus is a destiny-driven God. He calls us to become. Become. You've got to start stepping in. You've got to start taking risks. What has he told you to do? What do you know to do? Well, he hasn't told me anything. Well, what do you know to do that's right? Do you know that it's right to invite your neighbor to church or to witness to them? Well, let's just take witnessing out of the equation. Let's just talk about invitation. Do you know that's right to the Lord? Do you do that? No. Do you know what is right? What is right that he's already told you? And I could list a whole bunch, which I won't because that's not the point of what I'm trying to say. What do you know to do this right that you're not doing? That is your stagnating point to becoming. I want, you know, do you know to give your tithes and offerings? The full tithe, not a tipper? Do you know that? Oh, my gosh, you're offending me. Well, then, do you do it? You know to do that is right, but you don't. And so you're not going to go any further until you start stepping into that. I don't believe that. Well, I'll wait around for 20 years, and, you're gonna, and you, I'm going to tell you it's true. Until you start stepping into what you already know to do, nothing will activate. Nothing. It's true. That's right. Come on, he can clap. We come to church. You are called to belong to a family. We have an orphan generation of American Christians that don't believe they should commit and connect to any church. We should come when we feel and do what we want. You are an orphan generation, and you will never know the fullness of sons and daughtership until you commit and connect to a church. Get involved, be a part of it. If it's uncomfortable for you, if it's not your scene, he didn't say you, he didn't, that doesn't matter to him. You did His right to the Lord. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some. In other words, there's a whole group of people that think this is a good idea, but God doesn't think it's a good idea that not assemble with Him. And it's you're part of a family, Corinthians says you're a body. You're part of a body. Well, I'm part of the universal body. Well, you're more like a fingernail that gets flicked off from time to time. You're called to form into a local body and to become a member of a local body, to be part of it. That's not an option. And if Christians don't step into that, then they don't grow. We don't understand what church is all about, but it's what he's made it to be. I don't get it sometimes but it's what he wants. He wants the assembly of his family. He wants relationships built within the family. He wants it to be a revolutionary context and where it is the complete opposite of the culture around them. That's what he wants. And so you know what we do? We give him what he wants, whether you feel like it or not. He wants the tithe, so I give him the tithe, whether I feel like it or not. He wants me to pray, so I give him prayer, whether I feel like it or not. He wants me to live on mission and reach people for Jesus, so I give him what he wants, whether I feel like it or not. That's how we become, guys. This is the key. This is what makes us turn. And what happens when we don't do that is we hit a ceiling. You're going to hit a ceiling. That's what's called breakthrough. You're believing God for a breakthrough into a new spiritual reality. Say this with me. I will never have what I've never had unless I do what I've never done. You won't have what you never had unless you do what you've never done. Einstein said the definition of stupidity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. You keep doing the same thing over and over again, you're expecting it to be different. That's stupidity. If you want what you've never had, you must do what you've never done. You want a greater depth of relationship in the spirit, you've got to step into spiritual encounter. You want a greater depth of destiny, you've got to begin to step into destiny. All of this stuff is interconnected. This is the practicality of our faith. This is what it means. It's practical. It's practical. It's not a new concept. Abraham believed the Lord. Next slide. I'm almost done. Jesus is our Sabbath. So what does this mean? I had a guy ask me in the first service. He said, you know, well, what does Jesus mean when he says um, uh, not one jot or not one part of the law will be done away with until all is fulfilled? And he says, you're talking about something different this morning. I said, no, I'm talking about Hebrews 4. Jesus has fulfilled the law of the Sabbath. So Jesus, when he says that, is talking in future tense. Everything will be done away with once it's fulfilled. Blood sacrifice has been done away with because it's been fulfilled. In case you know, we don't have to offer up the blood of animals because Christ has fulfilled it, yet that's in the law. The law of the Sabbath or the written requirements that were attached to the Sabbath have been fulfilled. Christ now liberates the Sabbath. So now what we give him is a free will offering. Where they had to do it by mandate, we give it by the heart because that's always what he wanted. He wants it from the heart. What does the Sabbath do? It symbolizes royalty, royalty. Slaves were never given a day off. God says, "That my sons and daughters. They're royal. I give them a day off. And I not only want it to be in their, I not only want it over their life, I want it to be a part of their culture. It's symbolic of who we are. We're royalty. We don't work six days or seven days. We work six. And we honor God fully with one. That's what he intends. I'm not saying that's what we do, but that's what he intends. It proves us to be a son and daughter uh, Exodus 31 said, it's a sign between you and me. When you come before me, you are proving to me that you're my son and daughter. When you come before me, I am proving to you that I'm your father. He's got something for you. You don't sh- Listen to me. You don't show up at daddy's house and him not have something for you, okay? I used to go over grandma's house all the time. She'd always have jelly beans. She'd have something there. But the kids didn't show up at grandma's house without having something there. You don't show up at daddy's house and there not be something there. You say, well, where do I find? There's lots of opportunities. We try to put all the goodies on the low shelf. Some of you need a worship encounter. We have a worship encounter. You need prayer. We have prayer teams. We have spiritual encounter afterwards. You want the cookies? Come and get them. Come and get what you need. Come and receive what you need. He's got something for you. We don't do ministry fast food. You know, we're not just trying to pump you up with sugar and send you out the door. We're trying to encounter you and bring you into a depth of spirit. It proves this as a sign. It testifies. What's it testify? Jesus said with this what? We're a royal priesthood. who we are divine royalty. So we're to make known his praises. One of the ways we make known his praises is by honoring the Sabbath. Not because we have to, but because we get to. You don't have to, you get to. It's a sign to your friends. Now I'm going to church. Hey, you want to go to lunch this afternoon? Yeah, after church, why don't you meet me at church? It's a sign. It's a sign to your friends. It's a sign to your children. Listen, when you're out of the house, you do what you want, but when you're here, this is what we do. You're gonna remember that your mother and father honor the Lord. This is what you're gonna remember. You know? It's a sign. It's a sign to your business associates. Why don't you work on Sundays? Jim? Because I honor the Lord. Why do you honor the Lord? Because God is good to me. Next slide, watch this one. Anybody's ever heard of McDonald's before? You ever heard of Chick-fil-A? Business Insider. Chick-fil-A is the largest grossing fast food per store in the country. Their stores per store, McDonald's has more of them, Burger King has more of them, but per store, per square foot, Chick-fil-A grosses more money than any of the other ones. McDonald's is open, McDonald's grosses about two and a half million dollars per store, they're open, their stores are open on an average of 20 hours, seven days a week. Chick-fil-A grosses 3.1 million dollars a store, they're open 16 hours a day, and they close on Sundays. They close on Sundays because the ingrained concept of their business was founded on Christian principles. And they said to give our employees a week and an opportunity to worship or give our opportunity give our employees rest and to give them an opportunity to worship. That's why they close. And does not the Lord honor that? I'm sorry. They gross more money than any other fast food restaurant. Their menu is smaller, their stores are open less hours, and yet they make more money per store than any of the other ones. And people say, oh, you've got to be open seven days. Not Jesus doesn't say that. How do we do it? We cease from common work. What's this look like? We come to worship. The idea of having the day off to come to worship is so that you'll be free to worship. You know, I've got to go to work at two. I've got to work at six. He wants you to be free to worship so on Sundays you go for it. You can just go for it, man. I'm free to worship, man. I can just go for it today. It's spiritual recharging. You give and you receive. You can be recharged spiritually. This is the point. You can remember who you are. You can receive from God. You can get filled up. Here's a big point. What would happen, we come to church, you have all these problems, and when you come before the Lord, he has something for you, okay? I just tell from my own experience. I used to carry a piece of paper in my back pocket when I would come to church. I used to carry a pen and a paper in my back pocket, When it would be worshiping, I would be writing stuff down because God was revealing things to me. He would be answering me. Because I was honoring him, he was honoring me. Honor creates access. So I would come, I would be in a worship experience, I'd be writing stuff down. I'd be sitting in a church service, the pastor would be speaking, and God would be giving me revelation. Revelation into the things that I asked him for, or revelation into things that were completely even unrelated to what the pastor was saying. He was giving me something. You understand? When you come before the Lord, he has something for you. You're wondering how to solve your problems. He's going to give it to you. That's right. Come on. Yeah, it's true. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. It's because it's the only time he can get you to pause and be in his presence. What if you came expecting something from his presence? What if you came hungry? We do fire starters, right? And I forget last week, uh, Lily, you brought a gal, and she came in and she was believing God for a prophetic word. And like the whole, and she she said this kind of at the end, the whole room was giving her word, and she said she came expecting God to give her a word. When she came hungry, she was already pulling on the atmosphere of heaven. She was already pulling. And because of that, it all went in her direction. It was crazy. What if you came expecting? I guarantee you it's going to go in your direction. What if you came expecting? It's going to go in your direction. Isaac sowed in the time of famine, and he reaped a hundredfold. You hear me quote that? Isaac Isaac is, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, son of Abraham. He's there. He's in a land. There's nobody's, stock market's down. Nobody's making money. Everybody's business is down. It's it's just really terrible. The verse before that says, Isaac saw the Lord. Isaac encountered the Lord. And then it says, Isaac sowed in the time of famine and reaped a hundred souls. Well, how did he know to sow? Because he encountered the Lord, you see. And he encountered the Lord, and the Lord told him, sow. I guarantee you when Isaac was encountering the Lord, he's like, uh, Jesus, you know we're in a famine here and uh, I really don't know what to do. And the Lord instructed him. That's probably how that dialogue went down, something like that. God has a word for you. What if he gave you a word on Sunday, one day that changed your all, all six days? What if on Sunday you received such wisdom, such courage, such charge, such purpose that the rest of the six days went easy because he gave you a word? And Come on, it's so true. It's so true. You should come expecting And you should come letting him do it. And you know, Write it on your phone. Write it on a tablet. Whatever it is. I used to come hungry. And do you know why? Because I didn't know anything, man. I didn't have any good ideas. I came from nothing. And Jesus said, I'm your all in all. And you know what I did? I took him at his word. And I would come hungry. And I would come for wisdom. And I would say, speak to me, Lord. And I'd be in worship service. And there'd be something I prayed about two weeks ago. And we're singing a song. And all of a sudden, boom, he starts telling me something. He starts answering the prayer that I prayed two weeks ago. And I learned to carry the paper and a pen before the days of phones. And I learned to carry the paper and a pen because I would forget it by the time I got home most of the time. He would give me a revelation and I'd be like, you know, and then when I would write it down, I would remember if he, if he tells you something under the anointing, he's telling you something. You understand? People go, well, how do I know it's the Lord? Because it's under the anointing. If you're under the anointing and he's telling you something, he's speaking to you. Spiritual recharging, last slide. How, it's for friends and family. This is the other idea. So it's to worship, honor God. It's to have fun with friends and family. It's a time. Go, go have lunch and dinner without constraints. Go and hang out with people. Reconnect with your friends. Reconnect with your family. That's what Sabbath was designed for, to honor God, to receive from God, and then to reconnect with family. It was also for leisure time. Do something enjoyable. What do you like to do? Somebody goes, I like to sleep. Well, take a nap. You know? Do something enjoyable. If you like to go bowling and just knock over some pins because it gets the stress off, go do that. I tell people, go to the park with your family. He's like, I don't know how to interact with my wife and kids. Take your wife to the park, put the kids on the merry-go-round, and you just sit there and stare into her eyes and go, I understand. Every, let her talk. And you just go, oh, poor you. Mm, yeah, I understand. Wow, wow. I'm just telling you. This is <laughs> but as we're designed to pause, this is the point. Do something, and so this is what it should be. Right? So it's not a burden, it's about relationship. Did I make my point? More than enough, right? All right, I love you guys. I bless you guys. Just open up your hearts right now. Just say this with me Jesus, speak to me, reveal to me. I am paused before you. Answer the questions of my heart, give me strength for the weak, give me power to go through the processes that are set in front of me. Where I lack wisdom, release wisdom. Where I lack courage, release courage. Where I lack faith, release faith. And where I lack strength, release strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me bless you. May the Lord bless you, may he keep you, may he cause his face to shine down upon you, and may he be gracious to you and give you peace and may you forever live within his favor in Jesus name. He loves you. God loves you. We love you. Fire starters is at 3. Discover Elevates over there. Have a great week.